everyone. If you would like 10% off some delicious and homemade vegan pizzas from the Chicago House of Za, order at least $50 worth of food and or merchandise online and use our promo code HORROR. That's H-O-R-R-O-R. The Chicago House of Za is a family-owned, all-vegan pizza place that unfortunately had to close down their brick-and-mortar location because of the pandemic. But they were able to start a web store and ship their delicious frozen pizzas nationwide. So I know they would really, really, really appreciate the support. Go visit them at chicagoveganpizza.com and you can also find them on Instagram at vegandeepdish. We will include the website link in our show notes. Go get your 10% off with the promo code HORROR. That's H-O-R-R-O-R. And now, on to the show. Welcome to Whores Talk Horror. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello, and welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. Sharon and I are so very honored and excited to be talking today with author Courtney Stallings, who is well known to the Twin Peaks fan community as the senior editor of Blue Rose magazine and as a contributor slash co-collaborator with the Red Room podcast. Today, we're discussing Courtney's latest book, Laura's Ghost, Women Speak About Twin Peaks, which Sharon and I both kind of devoured, quite frankly, um, and I'd highly recommend it to any Twin Peaks fan. If you have not seen Twin Peaks, there will be spoilers in this episode, so consider yourself alerted. And now, without further ado, Courtney, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about Twin Peaks and Laura's Ghost with you. We are so excited. <laughs> um, before we discuss your book, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, but also how you first discovered Twin Peaks and became so involved with the Blue Rose magazine and the Twin Peaks fan community in general? Sure. Well, I, I live in Los Angeles, California, and I am the assistant director of a student uh, newspaper at a local university here. And I've worked in the academic side of things for a long time. So I'm an, I'm an academic. Uh, and I started writing seriously about Twin Peaks about 10 years ago, I would say. I, I you know watched the original series and was always a fan. But I really started writing about it about 10 years ago and started blogging about it. And about t- 2013 is when I really got tapped into the Twin Peaks community. I, the University of Southern California had a uh, retrospective of the series for film students. And they invited people from the show and people behind the scenes, writers, directors, actors, everybody. And uh, and so I started covering that. And that's when I got really connected with the community at large and uh, really became really interested in writing more about the show. And I did that for the Red Room podcast for a while. And then um, when Twin Peaks was announced uh, to come back for season three, um, Scott Ryan, who is one of the co-creators of the Red Room podcast, uh, invited me on as an editor and I became senior editor eventually. Um, he and Scott, uh, he and uh, um, John Thorne, who had uh, was was a co-editor with Craig Miller on Wrapped in Plastic, um, joined us for the Blue Rose magazine. And so we started the magazine in 2016, and it's a quarterly magazine. So we've been producing that for a while. 
And, um, and then in 2016, the same year, I decided I wanted to write Laura's Ghost. And I, I felt at the time, I felt like women in the Twin Peaks community um, who had really important stories to share were not getting a platform or were not, the voices weren't elevated. Uh, and I, I wanted to elevate those voices. And I also wanted to explore the character of Laura Palmer because she meant so much to me. And I knew she meant a lot to the people in the Twin Peaks band community, uh, but especially the women. Thank you. That kind of goes into my next question. But first, I just wanted to read a really great description about your book. Laura's Ghost, Women Speak About Twin Peaks, is an examination of Laura Palmer's legacy on the 30th anniversary of Twin Peaks. Palmer's character was one of the few frank and horrific representations of sexual abuse victims, which did not diminish the strength and complexity of the victim. Cheryl Lee, who played Laura Palmer, discusses the challenges of the role and how it has impacted herself as well as the women she has met over the years, many of whom are survivors of sexual abuse. The role demanded Lee give all of her vulnerability as an actor to this role. This role is one she cannot escape, one with which she will forever be identified. It's a role that still haunts her today. For many women, this character represents them. Here was a woman who was not just a victim, but who was owning her sexuality as well. A woman coming into her own and discovering her sources of power. This book is a reckoning in which women from the show and community speak about grief, mischief, humor, sexuality, strength, weakness, wickedness, and survival. So thank you so much for writing this book. I absolutely loved it. It spoke to me on multiple levels and I was able to relate to so much of it. Can you discuss a little bit more about how you came up with the idea to not only um, incorporate um, some of your own personal stories, but include uh, you have Cheryl Lee that you interviewed for the book. Uh, You also have more of the the fan community, uh, Sabrina Sutherland, uh, Jennifer Lynch, who wrote The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. How did that culminate you getting all of these uh, wonderful and inspiring women involved in your book? Yeah, well, well, like I mentioned before, um, 2016 was was a pivotal year for me. Um, I, I was attended the Twin Peaks Festival in the United States at the time, and there were a group of us who took a photo and uh, a group of people who were writing about Twin Peaks. And it was um, me and Scott Ryan and David Bushman and um, and John Thorne and just a group of us. And and I remember Scott had put um, our books or, or you know what, whatever we had written. Um, kind of a little like snapshot thumbnail on top of our our faces or bodies, and I looked and I was like, all the guys around me have written books, um, but I but I've you know I've written, but I haven't written a book, and it kind of sparked something in me where I really wanted to write a book, and I, I thought it was really important to have a, a woman. Not not that women haven't written about Twin Peaks. There's Martha Nockemson who's um, written about David Lynch quite a bit, and cer- certainly women have written about it. Um, but it was an inspiration for me to write a book because I was like, we I, we need this community as a book. Um, maybe I'm the person to write it. I don't know, but I'm going to do it. And I want to elevate women's voices. And the thing that was very close to me and close, close, close to heart was Laura Palmer and the effect she had on me um, as a survivor, but also many other women. So that was sort of the impetus for the writing of it. I had no idea where the book would take me, who would be involved in it. 
who I would interview, um, what shape it would take. And that evolved over time. I, I started um, reaching out to women I knew in the Twin Peaks community who I knew had a story to tell. I knew were creative types who were writing or performing or, you know, were some type of artist. So I, I started reaching out to them. And, uh, and then I really realized I, I wanted to, um, I wanted, I really wanted to explore this character of Laura Palmer. And so I had connected with Cheryl Lee a couple of times and I, I told her what I was doing and I told her that, you know, what, what the book was really about, um, in terms of connecting with her character on this level. And she was supportive from the very beginning. Uh, she, she agreed to be interviewed and she, she wanted to be on board. And, and, um, from there, you know, sort of, it started to grow where I realized, you know, I should probably interview other people from the show, but I knew I couldn't exhaustively interview every single woman attached to the show. So I narrowed it down to people who, uh, were, you know, were sort of, um, close to the character of Laura Palmer and creating it. So Cheryl Lee, of course, who played Laura Palmer, Jennifer Lynch, who wrote The Secret Diary of, of Laura Palmer between season one and season two, provided the backstory for her character. And then Grace Zabriskie, who played her mother. Uh, I also reached out to Sabrina Sutherland because she was, you know, sort of the the business side of things as the executive producer of Twin Peaks. And she worked with Twin Peaks since the original series. And she had gotten to know Cheryl Lee too, and could, could speak to Cheryl's character and, and a little bit to uh, the character of Laura Palmer as well. And that's how it evolved. And as these stories were coming out, um, I realized, you know, this, this is an important book for me. And this is an important book for, you know, all these other women um, to be able to tell their stories. So I connected with Rain, the Rape Abuse Incest National Network, and said, uh, you know, I, I, it was really important for me to, to donate some of the proceeds from this book to that organization um, because that was really the purpose of this book as sort of a, a healing um, mechanism for me and, and some of the women involved. That's beautiful. And I'm I, I'm a supporter of Rain um, as well. I actually remember hearing about them when I was like in high school from Tori Amos, of all people, Um the musician, because she was a big supporter too. Um, really quick, just to to build on what you just said, I, I I would be remiss if I did not talk about Shirley briefly. Sharon and I have raved about her performance, especially in Firewalk, more times than I can count. Um, and I mean, as the face of Laura, I know that she's you know been a beacon of hope for a lot, or a comforting comforting ear for a lot of survivors of abuse. Um, and it was just wonderful to read her words and have her involved. And, and that was very exciting. Clearly, we're big fans. Um, but I have a question. I want to get into the series a little bit. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts on the finale of season three, especially in relation to Firewalk with me. Um, I've always loved the final moments of that film, especially that that image of a triumphant Laura and her angel who's finally come. And the season three finale, while captivating, was also really disappointing, at least for me, to see our hero, Cooper, be yet just another man who couldn't save Laura. What's more, his actions possibly erased Laura's moment of triumph that she fought so hard to achieve. Uh, what are your thoughts on season three, the finale and the season in general, and what that means for Laura Palmer? This is such a an important question uh, that I've had to grapple with. the The night of the finale, I watched it with some friends of season three, and uh, we were all a little floored <laughs> by by the ending. <laughs> we weren't sure how to 
how to take it. Yeah. And the next day I was actually on a podcast the next day to talk about what's your, you know, gut reaction to the, you know, to the finale. And my main concern was, you know, what happens to Laura Palmer's agency? And this is a strange thing to talk about because, you know, she, she dies and, and fire walk with me, but she chooses to die rather than let Bob in. So to me, she had some kind of agency in that, that moment and free will in that moment. And, uh, and, you know, for me, Laura's story always ended with that image at the end of fire walk with me when she's in the red room with Cooper and she, you know, the angel appears and she is happy. She's crying tears of relief and joy. And that's how I want to remember her and her ending. So I wasn't sure what to make of the ending of season three when Carrie Page is brought back to the the site of Laura Palmer's, uh, you know, horror and, and, uh, and trauma. And I grappled with it. And actually I, I wrote a piece for an academic journal about it where I was trying to make sense of what season three was and what they were doing with Laura Palmer. And to me, um, you know, Carrie Page coming back to that site was about returning to the site of trauma, but also to remind the audience that, you know, that the story is about, the story of Twin Peaks is about Laura Palmer. It always has been for me. And we can't escape that as much as we want to escape that through cherry pie and donuts and Cooper and, you know, all those wonderful things about Twin Peaks. We can't escape what it's really about. And so that's how I grappled with it. And I wrote, I wrote, you know, an extensive theory about how it, how Twin Peaks is a subversive fairy tale in season three and wrote about Laura and Cooper. But it was it was difficult for me to to come to terms with. Well, wh- how does Carrie Page figure into this? Does does um, Cooper intervening um, change things? And we don't have any clear answers. Some people think they know the answer to what is happening in season three, but but I don't think we have any clear answers. And I think that's okay. I think Twin Peaks is what you bring to it, and uh, and that's why you're going to have a lot of different interpretations, and that's why we can have so much fun and enjoyment and and sharing those interpretations and having debate about those interpretations. Yeah, even in the very first episode, I want to say, where we see Cooper again, and he meets Laura again in the Red Room, the first episode of season three. Um, I had a friend who actually had that immediate reaction when Laura gets pulled out of the Red Room screaming is she immediately was like, what are they doing to Laura Palmer? Um, so it's nice to hear that we weren't the only ones who were like, wait, what? <laughs> After reading your book, I I was able to uh formulate uh, some more opinions on what I think happened to Laura originally after I watched it. I mean, I think I was like everyone else where I was like, wait, what? That's it. (laughs) That's how it's ending. And immediately the first thing I thought of was um, after, you know, I took some psychology classes in school and thought that, you know, because of the abuse that she suffered uh, at the hands of her father, that maybe her personality was fractured and that that wasn't really Laura. That was just um, another piece of her. You know, Carrie Page was um, almost like a a split personality or I can't think of the term right now um, off the top of my head, but I didn't think it was actually Laura. Mm. And then after hearing that argument um, from a lot of people who were like, no, that was Laura and Cooper basically fucked up and took away her agency and now she's forced to relive this trauma all over again I I totally see that but I did not think of that right away it took me a while to even grapple with the thought that like the show is over and there's just so there's even more questions now than there was at the beginning of the season so I still I still really don't know and 
I just like to put on season one and start from the beginning <laughs> and go back to the beginning of the whole show where, um, you know, it's 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 not about taking away that agency from Laura, like just watching it all over again. Yeah, I, I like what you're exploring there in, in terms of Carrie Page, because if you do look at the psychology of it, you know, people who have gone through trauma try to repress those memories. And and rightly so, you know, there it's a lot to to be reminded of that. So if you look at Carrie Page, she's and, and you, you see her as a repressed memory of, of Laura Palmer's trauma, you know, she's she's living a different life. She doesn't remember um, things from Laura Palmer's past, but yet she's not living a great life because she hasn't properly dealt with that, that trauma uh, too. And that's, you know, we show we see this dead man and, you know, her, her living room who's, who's been killed. And, and, uh, and, you know, she, she mentioned something to Cooper about um, the difficult life she's led. And, and uh, so, so even though she's maybe repressed the memory that it, it still is, is coming to fruition, that trauma is still coming into fruition in her life. Yeah, exactly. Clearly she's, you know, n- nothing is going good for her. Um no matter where she is, whether she's in Twin Peaks or whether she's in Texas, um it's a tragic ending any way you look at it. Um speaking a little bit of Firewalk with me, there is a chapter in your book where women speak about Firewalk with me and there was a quote from writer Maya McBriar that really resonated with me. She said, "Quote I think that David Lynch is somebody who, in his dark way, does like to shine a light on the mistreatment of women. She goes on to say, there's something so special about the character of Laura Palmer and that so many people relate to it because it's so sad and tragic and yet strangely relatable. So after reading that, I immediately thought of the story that Lynch has told over and over again when he's really young, and it's him and his brother, I believe. They're sitting outside in their neighborhood, and it was at night, and I think this is when they were living in suburban Idaho, and he sees this beautiful, naked, and bloodied woman who is walking towards him and his brother, and she sits down on the curb, and she starts crying, and it's basically the scene from Blue Velvet when Dorothy Valens appears naked after escaping from her kidnappers. But I think this made such an impact on Lynch, and he was just so young when this happened, and it was in those formative years, and he was too young to help this woman, but it just, it really stuck with him. And I think this is why you see that theme in so many of his films and in Twin Peaks of women who have been mistreated or who are victims of abuse. So I just wanted to know, what are your thoughts on how Lynch portrays women in his work, particularly women who are victims of violence or abuse? Yes, this is a a question that's been going on for a long time in Lynch's career. And I think you're absolutely right about that what happened to him when he was young, that memory um, where this beautiful woman has been is naked and injured. And he, he, as a young boy, he can't do anything. He feels helpless. And I think he's been exploring that in his, his work since um, he's been accused of misogyny and exploitation of women through violence. But I, I disagree with that. I think he's, he's shining a light on the real violence that happens. He's doing it in an artful way. And he's, um, often humanizes uh, the victim. You know, Laura Palmer is, is humanized. He wanted to go back and tell her story and fire walk with me. He asked his daughter, um, Jennifer Lynch, to tell her backstory and as a as a young woman, as a young girl, in in the Secret Diary. 
So, so yeah, I, I think there's, there's something there. I mean, I mean, of course his films are the male gaze. They're not from a, a you know, a woman's perspective, but they're, you know, he, he's, he's tapping in something that means something to us. And, you know, it's, it's her, you know, Laura Palmer's story is very meaningful to me. It's, it's horrific to look at the violence that happens to women, but it's really necessary because it's a, it's a real thing that happens and we don't talk about it and we don't confront it. And that's one of the things I admire that, that Lynch does. And uh, so I know people have confused, have, um, you know, can uh, said that he's misogynistic or, um, but I, I disagree. I, yeah, I disagree too. I mean, I don't, think he hates women. I think he he loves women. I think he has the utmost respect for women. Um, and he does bring up a conversation that's difficult to have. But, you know, there I'm seeing more and more people posting on social media now just after that woman in London who was found murdered, not only by a man, you know, she was walking alone at night, but it was a cop, you know, someone who is supposed to protect us from people like that. Um, so this is very much an important issue that needs to be discussed. And it's something that happens every day to women. And he portrays it in such a way where the women um, in his work, they are, you know, they, they're multidimensional. They have depth. They're complex characters. You know, they're not just sexualized. They're not just abused. Um, I, I think he he does it in a way that um, I personally, when I watch it, I, I don't feel uh, disrespected or like he's trying to, um, you know, make some negative commentary on women, like blame the woman. Uh, there, I don't see any victim blaming in his work. Um, but I, I think that maybe um, as far as Twin Peaks, that Cooper is almost an extension of Lynch himself uh, because Cooper has white knight syndrome, as we all know, and he couldn't save Carolyn and he couldn't save Annie. And I think that, you know, Cooper manifested through that childhood incident um, that happened to Lynch. Um, Or maybe I'm overthinking (laughs) the whole thing. Um, But that's also like the wonderful thing about David Lynch is that he creates this beautiful art that lets you have these wonderful discussions about it. I don't think you're overthinking at all. I I think there is a connection between Cooper and Lynch. I mean, Lynch loves that character. And I think that's Cooper represents the best parts of him. Maybe, Maybe some of the the negative parts in the sense that, you know, the, the savior syndrome. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think he, I think he represents some, some, some valuable, um, aspects of, of kindness and goodness and integrity. Um, but I think Cooper can be his own worst enemy too. Right. And he doesn't always, um, see he's, he's a very intuitive, but he doesn't always see what's in front of him. Yeah. I, I, agree with both of you. Um, I just wanted to comment on this same topic. Uh, The issue that I have with the violence against women in Lynch's work is really that it's extremely uncomfortable and painful to watch usually. And that's kind of how it's supposed to be, Um, especially with Laura's case. Lynch never really sexualizes her trauma. Um, Her pain is really put front and center and it's shown to be the product of this ugly, horrifying act of violence that she's had to endure. So I agree. I actually applaud Lynch for approaching the subject matter so unflinchingly and head on and like, you know, not dressing it up and making it pretty and sexy. Like, you know, that kind of 
uh, violence is ugly and he kind of shows it like it is. And as viewers, we have to bear witness to Laura's terror, tragedy and pain because she deserves to be acknowledged just like survivors of trauma in real life. Um, I actually feel like Lynch is kind of a a rarity in Hollywood. Um, Hashtag sorry, not sorry, especially being a straight white man in a position of power that he shows uh, women and violence in this way. Um, I really I I just think that's very powerful and moving personally. In Laura's Ghost, uh, Cezanne Kohler discusses shifting gears a little bit. She discusses the backlash that she's received uh, when she's critiqued Twin Peaks, particularly through the lens of a woman of color, um, and especially for her critical essay about the uh, NATO Diane situation, which I thought was a fantastic think piece. Um, Personally, I think it's possible to have issues and be with and be critical of art while still loving it. After all, Kohler says that she's still a Twin Peaks fan, despite the backlash. Uh, Courtney, what are your thoughts on reconciling art that you love, but that may be flawed, but is also groundbreaking at the same time, like Twin Peaks and Firewalk? I, I think it's absolutely necessary um, to to take a critical eye to art that you love and and also to see where your blind spots are, too. You know, I, I'm a white woman. The world sees me as a white woman. Um, so I have a very different experience in the world. And, you know, Twin Peaks is largely white. You know, it's a, it's, there's a lot of whiteness in there. Um, and when people are of color are in there, um, we need to take a, a look at how they're portrayed. And I think there's a lot of th- ways you can criticize season three. I mean, Laura Palmer's always been the center of Twin Peaks for me, but so I, so I need to kind of take a step back and look at the other characters um, and how they've been portrayed. But, but yeah, it was really important for me to get, to get Sezen's, um perspective because I, you know, I've been following her for a while. And I'd seen some backlash. I didn't know how bad the backlash was until I had interviewed her, but I had seen some backlash because she had written about, uh, with a critical eye, um, Twin Peaks and and the use of people of, of color and, um, and the whiteness of Twin Peaks. And so I really wanted that perspective in there because the majority of the women I interviewed were white, um, uh, with you know exception of um, of a few, because uh, you know the, the fan community is not totally white, but there are you know a good bit of um, white women in there, and uh, and she she you know she had she had been critical of it, and um, um, particularly um, Nido, you know, um, which which I was you know kind of struck by that character too, is is that character was never. Um, fully realized as, as a character, you know, she's, she's supposed to be Diane and she's, um, you know, her, her eyes are covered and she can't really speak. And, um, and then looking at the character of Jade too, um, who is just a, a fantastic character, but, you know, you're looking at one of the few representations in a larger way of black women in the show and, um, and she's a prostitute, you know, so there's, there's all sorts of ways that we can critique um, Twin Peaks and, and what it's doing with women, in, including in season three. Uh, so I thought her perspective was really important. I also thought her perspective was important to show the backlash she got because I've known what it's like to be a woman in the world and the, a woman in the Twin Peaks community. Um, my, when my I'm the I'm the big fan of Twin Peaks, and when my husband and I would go places, people would want to talk to him about Twin Peaks and would ignore me, thinking that he he you know he provided the better perspective, and he would always turn to me and say, "No, no, my my wife you know is actually the fan. She writes about it." And so I knew what it was like for me as a white woman to navigate the fan community um, at large. And then when I heard and, and witnessed what was happening to Sezen, um, 
I realized, you know, if you're a woman of color, you're having a much different experience in the world. And if you're critiquing this, this system or this art, uh, you're going to get a lot more backlash than if someone like I were critiquing it, who would also get backlash, but not to that extent. Yeah, I was. Uh, well, first of all, I, I want to say I think it's awesome that if you and your husband are out and somebody turns to him to ask him, you know, to talk about Twin Peaks, he's like, oh, no, my wife's the fan and she even writes about it. Like, that is so badass. Um, but yeah, I was not aware either, really, of how extensive the backlash was until I, I did some research online when the article came out back when it was originally published. And I I mean, I realized fandom is a strong thing, but um, I thought it was actually kind of strange that people would be so resistant to, like, view it through another lens. Maybe I'm just being naive. I don't know. But yeah, and, and it was shocking to me, too, because, um, you know, the the community that I've tapped into is, from my perspective, um, largely kind, largely tolerant, largely inclusive. And I might be blinded to the that community or the community at large. Um, but I was I was really shocked because I, I do think, you know, there are really toxic fan communities. And I personally would not have labeled the Twin Peaks fan community toxic, but there certainly are elements that are that are toxic. And that opened my eyes a lot to that. Yeah, I have to say I was kind of shocked by that as well, because Mindy and I, we went to Twin Peaks Fest in 2017 and we went to Festival of Disruption. Um, was it in 2019? 18, I think. No, yeah, 18? 18 or 19, yeah. I have no concept of time anymore. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, everyone we've met through those fests, I mean, they've been absolutely lovely and welcoming and kind and um, seem incredibly open-minded. And it's it's really disheartening to know like the um, amount of hatred that came from some Twin Peaks fans um, directed towards her just by writing an article. I mean, it really, I think, says a lot about those people in general. And, you know, sometimes when you hold a mirror up to someone, they just they don't like what they see. And um, I, I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm shocked. I I, I was hoping that, uh, you know, Twin Peaks fans were better than that. But I guess any sort of um, group of people, you're always going to have people that are intolerable. But um, I, I really loved those articles that she wrote as well. And it made me think about the show in new ways. And when I go back and rewatch it, it makes me relook at things in a whole new way. So I applaud her for that. And yeah, I actually I will say that in college, I introduced the show. I had a roommate that had the VHS copies of the show back in the day, the first two seasons. And I introduced the show to some friends. And one of my good friends that I'm still in touch with actually refers to Hawk as Big Chief Stereotype, because right away he was like, the show's great, but come on. <laughs> um, and I just think it's important to keep that perspective in mind. So thank you for including that in your book, too. Yeah, I also interviewed um, uh, Gabrielle Norte, um, who is from an indigenous community in Southern California, and you know she she had I, I've heard mixed I've heard mixed um, reactions to Hawk um, from different people um, in, in indigenous communities, and uh, and you know she she had a positive reaction because she said, and this kind of tells you where representation's at with with indigenous people. She said that um, you know she she was like you know Hawk is is great because he's 
not just, you know, in a period piece or, you know, a one dimensional character. He's, you know, humorous. And so she had a different, different take on that. But I've also read some critiques of that too. Um, but it just tells you how lacking, um, you know, in, in diversity of representation, you know, diversity of characters, because, uh, you know, Native people are often um, portrayed as, you know, um, one dimensional or, um, they get the only roles they get are for period pieces and not for for being modern and you know a deputy or you know in the, working in the sheriff station. So I think um, I think I value the different perspectives on that. I know Gabriel Norte had had one of those perspectives for the book. And correct me if I'm wrong, but hasn't Michael Horse come out and defended his character as well? Yes, he has. Um, he's he's really grateful because you know he said. I mean, to, at the time Twin Peaks came out, you know. Um, Native people were not getting any roles unless they were, you know, sort of the background in a period piece. And, uh, and so he was, he was grateful at the time for that role and, uh, and getting to play somebody who um, was modern and, you know, had a sense of humor and was quirky. And, um, you know, Hawk has some of the best lines in the, in the series too. Um, so he's, he's been defend, you know, he's defended um, that character in that role. He, he really does have some of the best lines. Um, I immediately thought, like, what comes to mind immediately is um, when he throws the knife in, I think it's the beginning of season two, uh, at One-Eyed Jacks and saves Harry and Cooper's butt as they're rescuing Audrey. And he's like, good thing you guys can't keep a secret. Um, and the donut disturb sign in season three. Yeah, he's fantastic. We had the honor of meeting him. Uh, Michael Horse when we went to Festival of Disruption and he was lovely and gracious and and kind and then actually commented now that he's old enough that he's playing the like now he's playing the like you know quote-unquote indigenous guy who knows everything you know and helps the white lead character (laughs) but he's like I'm I'm older now and I'm you know that that's where I'm at at this age but um his um his scenes with Margaret in season three were some of my favorite scenes of the entire series. So I just thought those were beautiful. And lovely to see women of all ages included in the series as well, like Norma, like, you know, the log lady, etc. Rest in peace, both of them. <laughs> We've lost so many wonderful people from Twin Peaks. It's so sad. Okay, so Courtney... We normally like to do kind of a lightning round with our guests. And since you're a Twin Peaks fan, this one's going to be extra fun. No pressure at all. Throwing that out there. Just say whatever pops into your head. But we're going to get a little Twin Peaks nerdy. Are you ready? (laughs) I'm ready. All right. This is an easy one. (laughs) Who is your favorite? Well, maybe it's an easy one. Um, Who is your favorite Twin Peaks character? Laura Palmer. Okay, so... To piggyback on that, uh, if you could play any character in the world of Twin Peaks, the show or the movie, aside from Laura, who would that be? Catherine Martell. Nice. Good answer. Interesting answer. Yeah. Um, Okay. Next question. Laura Flynn Boyle or Maura Kelly? This is a tough one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go with Laura Flynn Boyle. Okay. All right. I mean, she had way more screen time, so it is kind of hard to make a decision. I would say Laura Flynn Boyle up until a certain point. (laughs) (laughs) And then her character just goes like bananas 
Um, yeah, that that whole storyline with like her and James just got a little too much for me. And you can tell that like David Lynch was really, really not involved in the writing <laughs> at all at that point. Um, seasons one, two or three favorite season season one. I would have to agree. <laughs> OK, uh, cherry pie or donuts? Cherry pie. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> uh, black as midnight on a moonless night or with cream and sugar? Black as midnight on a moonless night. Woohoo. <laughs> I was actually in a store recently, quick side note, um, here in Chicago, and the workers in the store were, were making a coffee run and they were collecting orders and a, a girl said, they were like, hey, do you, what do you want in it? And she said, black is midnight on a moonless night. And I like squealed in the store. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay. So our last question is, what does your log have to tell us? My log has many secrets. Ooh, awesome. Thank you again so much for joining us today, Courtney. Um, what's next for you and where can folks find your, you and your work online? Yes, well, the, where they can find my work is uh, Laura's Ghost, Women Speak About Twin Peaks is available on FayettevilleMafiaPress.com. Um, you can also get the Kindle version from Amazon as well. And 10% of the proceeds go to uh, rain.com, the Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network. And what's next is I do have a book idea. It is not Twin Peaks related. Uh, moved on from Twin Peaks a little bit. And, uh, and that, you know, hopefully be working on that for next year. Um, more information to come. And then we are still working on the Blue Rose magazine, bluerosemag.com. It's a magazine about Twin Peaks and David Lynch and Mark Frost. And that's still, we're still plugging away at that. Awesome. Um, Sharon, did you have any, any final, any other questions? Um, yeah, I, I want to say, uh, your friend, Tim, who is a listener of our show, he's the one that reached out to us and suggested contacting you to have you on the show, which I'm so glad he did. Uh, thank you, Tim. And hello. And thanks for listening to us. Um, and it was an absolute pleasure talking with you today. And I just want to know, do you have any, uh, last words, anything else that you want to say? Well, I, I also want to thank Tim. Tim's a, a great guy. Um, friends with him on social media, and uh, yeah, he connected us, and that's that's wonderful. I'm, and and thank you for having me too. I, I really appreciate an opportunity to come on, talk about my book, talk about Twin Peaks, especially with fellow fellow ladies. And I, I just want to say, you know, I wrote this book um, for me as a to, to heal, but also for for other women and specifically for other survivors. And so I hope people can um, find some some meaning in it and. Uh, and, and, you know, also use it as a, as a tool of, of healing and, and a process of working through um, their own stuff uh, through the art of Twin Peaks. Sorry, I have a quick question. Um, I have not gotten a chance to read the book yet, but I really would like to because it sounds pretty fascinating and educational. And I'm just curious, was there a favorite uh, a story or moment in the book um, for you personally? Or just one that sort of jumps out at you? There, there's so many, but the one that jumps out to me is I've always wanted to interview Grace Zabriskie. I'm, I'm a big fan of hers, and I think she's just this powerful actor. And when I, I interviewed her in her home, and um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Wild at Heart, too. And she, um, without any prompting, just went into the character 
of Wanda Durango, um, this this really character, scary character she plays in uh, Wild at Heart, and just started moving around the room as that character. And I, I I'm pretty calm in interviews, but I almost lost my shit in that interview. <laughs> It was it was such a moment for me as as a fan and and just to see her just so easily just you know put on that character like a like a favorite old coat. She is amazing, and I yeah. loved reading uh, the the interview that you did with her. Um, I had no idea that she was this prolific artist on top of being you know an amazing actress. And yeah. um, I I. Does she have a website or anything of all of her artwork? Because you described a lot of the pieces that she made in the book. And I was like, I want to see her work. Um, but also, I I think I would have been so intimidated to interview her. She just <laughs> seems like so like brilliant and wise beyond her years. And I, I would have sounded like Chris Farley um, <laughs> doing an interview with her. I think like, uh, you remember that time on Twin Peaks when... <laughs> You saw the fan, you screamed. That was cool. Like that that would have been me talking to her. So that was awesome. Thank you. Because I, I don't think she does a ton of interviews and I loved reading more about her. I think she's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't do a lot of interviews and I really, um, you know, felt uh, just really grateful to be able to interview her. And, and she's, she's an incredible artist and she, I get the feeling that she doesn't, she doesn't care about fame or her, you know, her ego in that way. She's just really interested in creating, whether it's a character or whether it's woodworking, whatever it is. Yeah. I really enjoyed the way you, uh, the way you set up that whole section and, and kind of listening in, if you will, on like the conversation back and forth between the two of you. Um, yeah, that was just fantastic. Um, uh, we we plan to hopefully have more Twin Peaks episodes discussing various elements of the show. So, Courtney, please know that you are welcome back for those. Uh, we might reach out to you if you ever want to talk more Twin Peaks. Just throwing that out there. Um, we will put the link to Laura's Ghost to Fayetteville Media Press in our show notes for sure. But these Twin Peaks fans highly recommend it. Great, great. Well, thanks for having me on. I'd be happy to come back any other time to talk about Twin Peaks with y'all. That would be awesome. Honestly, we will probably be getting in touch. <laughs> um, and I just wanted to say as well, thank you to you for writing this, but also to all the contributors of, uh, to the book for sharing their thoughts and their experiences. Uh, I think it's a beautiful work. And it yes, it needed to be written. And I'm glad it's out in the world. And so thank you for for making this happen. Thank you. Absolutely. And honestly, I, I would recommend it to people who aren't necessarily fans of the show or may not have ever even seen the show, because I think um, anyone who is a survivor of sexual abuse or assault, I, I think they could take something away from reading that book as well and just, you know, connect with uh, so many people on on different levels, because it is all about connecting through art Um it's it's not just about Twin Peaks necessarily. So I, if you're not a fan of Twin Peaks, I would still recommend checking out the book. <laughs> we're we're shilling your book for you, Courtney. <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. I really do. <laughs> that was such a great interview. Um, and of course, now that the interview is over, the term that I could not think of earlier when I was talking about Laura being fractured was dissociative disorder. Um, but basically what I was trying to say earlier was that my theory is that because of all the traumatic abuse that Laura suffered, that she developed different 
identities to cope with that abuse. So when Cooper and Diane crossed that threshold to go into whatever it was, an alternate world or reality, uh, they're no longer Cooper and Diane. They're Richard and Linda. And Laura's no longer Laura. She's Carrie Page. But obviously, she still has some of Laura's memories, which is why when she hears the names of her parents um, and at the end, when she hears Sarah's voice calling her, it seems familiar and it, it triggers those memories from Laura, which is why you hear that scream. Um, but also, I just wanted to um, bring this up again because, you know, a lot of people are upset because they think that Cooper completely erased Laura's de- decision to end her life and find happiness. And maybe in Laura's timeline, she's still dead um, by her own will. And this may give you a little more comfort. Um, And as Courtney said, nothing's definitive or written in stone. Twin Peaks is just whatever you want it to be. You know, if you want the entire town and story of Laura Palmer and Twin Peaks to exist only in Cooper's head and all Three seasons are just a wonderful, bizarre nightmare slash dream that exists only to Cooper. Then say that's what the show's about if you want it to be about that. You know, that's why Lynch is so great. He lets the viewer decide what they're watching and does not tell you that you're wrong. Thank you, Sharon. For That's an interesting theory. I know there's so many theories about the ending out there. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Finally, we wanted to just give you a little bit more information on RAIN, which is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. Um, It's the largest nonprofit anti-sexual assault organization in the United States. RAIN uh, was created and operates the National Sexual Assault Hotline in partnership with more than 1,000 local sexual assault service providers across the country and operates the DOD Safe Helpline for the Department of Defense. RAIN also carries out programs to prevent sexual violence, help survivors, and ensure that perpetrators are brought to justice. We will include those numbers as well as a link to the RAIN website in our episode description. And I just wanted to jump in here quickly and say that uh, the first time that I heard about Rain was through a friend of mine, Paul McComas, who is a very artistic, creative guy. He works in lots of um, creative things, filmmaking and music and writing and, and lots of things. And he has been a supporter of Rain for many, many years. And I know that a lot of his projects, all of the profits go towards Rain. Uh, I think it stemmed from a, a personal experience he had uh, with somebody he, he knew who, uh, I, I don't know the, all the details, so I'm not going to get into that. But um, he feels very, very strongly about Rain and supporting that. So um, he's actually working on a very large project that also will be a big supporter of Rain um, financially and hopefully in other ways as well. Very uh, cool. Is, yeah, yeah. I'm excited about that. Yeah, it's a great organization. Um, so if you want to donate, you can find the link in our episode description. Please get a copy of her book. It is fantastic. We both highly recommend it. Thank you all for listening to us. As always, you can write to us at whorestalkwhore at gmail.com. 
with anything you want to share with us. If you have any other suggestions for Twin Peaks related episodes that you want us to do, let us know. We'll cover it in a future episode, possibly. You can also share any other stories you have, whether it's ghost stories, true crime stories, creepy stories, conspiracy theory stories, whatever you want us to read on the show. If nothing else, uh, please do subscribe to us uh, on your streaming platform of choice and rate and review us if you like the show. It does really, really help podcast get more exposure when you do that so we would be very very grateful if you are able to you can also subscribe to our patreon and get to see exclusive posts early have early access to episodes maybe even receive some cool shit in the mail not to mention you will receive our eternal love and gratitude Um, please be kind to each other out there stay safe and as always Thanks for getting creepy with us. Sharon, you want a beer? Uh, Oh, my God.